welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Jesse and Igor discussing porting their open source project entirely to Kotlin. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hi, Hattie. Hey, Hattie. How's it going? Hi. Good. How are you both doing? It is a, it's a snowy day in Kitchener-Waterloo, Canada today. It's, it's cold and sunny. <laughs> Whereabouts yeah, in Canada? <laughs> Kitchener-Waterloo. We're, um, we're kind of between um, Niagara Falls and... Uh, we're, we're near to Niagara Falls and to Toronto. Oh, nice. That's on my... Uh, bucket list of places to go Canada. I mean, I, that, not entirely true. I did go through there one time uh, through immigration in Vancouver. Does that count? I mean, I was at the airport for about an hour and a half. So, Did you I, see the beautiful wooden eagle? Yes, I did. I did. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and the immigration actually was way smoother than uh, the US. That They actually had to open it for me. I'm like, this is so cool, you know? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, we're not here to discuss uh, immigration, um, especially given Thankfully. the current uh, situation in the world. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to discuss Kotlin and we're going to discuss porting your library to Kotlin. So for the listeners, now I know that a lot of people in, in the Kotlin world also do this other thing called Android. And I repeat multiple times that there is life outside of Android. Although I, I did write my first Android application the other day, and I survived. And that uh, was uh, that was very painful to watch, by the way. Oh yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> and and here's the worst part about it, right? Is it was a little timer that I did, so that when I'm resting between uh you know weight sessions at the gym, it it counts down exactly. I just click a button and it counts down thirty. Of course, I didn't realize that when the phone goes off it doesn't really beep anymore. It just <laughs> dies on me. So yeah, beautiful oh. stuff. Anyway, yes. So outside of Android, there are people that don't use a lot of libraries that folks inside Android use. So give us a little bit of background of what you guys do and uh, what library you've been working on and uh, we'll take it from there. Um, okay, I'll, I'll start. So I, I guess my experience with Squares Open Source started with Kotlin Poet. It's like a small library that was, uh, so essentially it's like a tool that helps you generate Kotlin code. Um, it's really not something you use in an Android app, rather it's like a library for library developers. So we have a bunch of different libraries which are um, app facing, which are using Kotlin code inside to, to generate Kotlin code. Um, then I gradually kind of started looking into OKIO as we had this, uh, monster plan to to make it multi-platform and just like generally convert it to Kotlin. And right now something I'm working on uh, quite actively is, is called Wire. So Wire is our tool that uh, generates Kotlin from uh, Prado files. So if you heard about Prado C, which is Google's implementation, basically it takes the Prado format, uh, generates a bunch of uh, code for different languages. So we built something that initially generated Java, but at the uh, Recently, we ported it to work with Kotlin as well. Um, and the stuff we're working on now is trying to get a full gRPC stack built using the tools Igor's talking about. So um, we start with like a dot proto file, which is a protocol buffer schema de declaration. Um, we use uh, wire to parse that and uh, Kotlin Poet to generate Kotlin code that implements that schema, basically turn that schema, which is in a, 
language neutral, lang uh, which is language neutral, and make a Kotlin API for it. And then we've got a library called OKHttp, OK which is a um, pretty awesome HTTP client, uh, as if we say so ourselves. It is, <laughs> but I'll it has say like, so as well. but it has uh, has problems, which is that um, it's uh, you know HTTP and gRPC. Um, they're they're sort of like very similar, but there's features of HTTP that gRPC needs that aren't um, used in the conventional way. So we've been um, taking OKHP and making it work. Um, it can basically carry gRPC calls now. And um, what we're aspiring to do is at some point take all of that code and all that complexity and make it work in two platforms. So um, those two platforms are obviously iOS and server. Um, <laughs> because we're using all of this stuff, despite the fact that like we have a reputation as being an Android shop, um, all this like all of our Kotlin stack is stuff that we also use on server. So we use our like Kotlin protocol buffers implementation on server. Um, we're just about to start using our gRPC implementation, and then um, we also want to use basically want to be able to share code not just between Android apps and iOS apps, but also um, iOS apps, Android apps, and our services. Yeah, truly multi-platform, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because a lot of times when we, we speak about multi-platform, we keep falling into this tendency of, oh, it's just iOS and uh, Android, right? Um, yeah, and there's a, like, one of the things, an example of this that, like, we're running into a lot is we've got these, like, domain objects that describe payments. We work on something called Cash App, and these domain objects, you know, they're a big, complicated domain model. And we want to turn them into display objects that say, you know, like, your payment was deposited on Tuesday. And we ideally want to use the exact same code on iOS, Android, web, and then also on server so that when we send you an email that says, like, your, you know, your payment completed, we can use the exact same strings both um, in the email the server sends and also say, like, the, the uh, notification that Android renders. And so being truly multi-platform there uh, really matters. And I guess that this is kind of like the motivation of porting everything over to Kotlin, right? Exactly. Yes. So originally everything was uh, originally everything was Java, and at least within this organization, the way the wind was blowing was we we saw Kotlin, we saw how much more expressive it is, and so we wanted to change our own um, uh, basically development language over to Kotlin, both for Android and for server, but um, Half of the benefits of Kotlin are um, when you're calling into Kotlin APIs. So we wanted not just to be able to like use OKHP or Wire from Kotlin. We also wanted those um, libraries to expose the richness of the Kotlin language. Things like named and default parameters, um, things like sealed classes, for example. Nullability as well. Nullability is huge. Yeah. So when did you actually start the port? For um, I guess the first thing we tackled was OKO. Um, it was I don't know 2017 when we did the first attempts yeah. to kind of try to find. Basically, I guess it took us time to find the right strategy to tackle it. I think the first attempt was to just try to build it from ground up and kind of like pick out the Java code and try to integrate it into the library, which was tough. Um, so in what sense? It didn't, like it didn't land. Um, so OKO is 
just to give a bit of background, it's it's basically it's it's a very low level library. Uh, it just does I/O. It's kind of a wrapper around Java's I/O classes. Um, and OKHTTP OK, uses OKIO OK, kind of under the hood to uh, to to do some of the I/O in more uh, performant way. And it's also uh, like the APIs are a little nicer to handle. So th there are just too many bindings to to the JDK underneath, and it was hard to find the right ways to port it to native and JS. A good example is like we were like, okay, cool, we're gonna do uh, OKIO OK, exclusively in Kotlin. And then, you know, the very first day, it's like, okay, well, we can't um, convert a string to UTF-8 bytes in um, multi-platform Kotlin. We have to build that three times in um, uh, JS Native and uh, Java. And, um, and we did that. And then we immediately ran into, like, okay, now we have to do gzip bindings. And then we needed to run into something else. So we flipped our strategy so that we started out with 100% coverage in JVM. And then we could basically enhance the other um, platforms as we uh, built out integrations for them. But we never had this awkward point where um, it didn't ever work on the JVM projects. And that allowed us to seamlessly migrate projects like OKHTTP and Wire from the Java version of OKIO to the Kotlin version. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, in 2017, when we look at uh, Kotlin multi-platform, there wasn't that much around, right? I mean, even we didn't have a lot in terms of the libraries that we were creating. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's also a, a good point. Um, as we went, we definitely discovered issues and some, some were we could work around, some were blockers. So it, it, it was a gradual process to just upgrade to uh, latest Kotlin and, and pull the fixes from, um, from you guys. Yeah. yeah. And, but I mean, Again, like 2000, well, I, I guess it depends, you know, like I was going to say that it's like we know that we are committed to this, right? I mean, recently you also saw that we, uh, you may have seen that we uh, announced a, a new application at JetBrains, which is completely multi-platform Kotlin, right? Which is even emphasizes more our commitment to multi-platform. Mm -hmm. uh, but did you ever feel like this risk of, you know, we're going to do all of this work and convert this to multi-platform. Is it safe? Is is this going to be technology that's going to be continued or or just abandoned? One other thing that's like really interesting at this particular time was this was also before Google had officially blessed Android as the platform's language. Yeah, or Kotlin as Android's platform language. And um, what we what we'd done is we'd basically fallen in love with Kotlin as a Productivity uh, as, as a productivity benefit for our for our own team, and we wanted to um, we wanted basically to push Kotlin in as many places. And we were um, we were kind of like trying to you know encourage Google, hey, Kotlin is legit, and here we are a organization that is already using Kotlin before it's blessed. And so um, I guess there's like certain types of organizations where. Um, there's certain types of organizations where something not being, you know, industry standard is a big deterrent. And we're kind of the type of organization where we want to be at the tip of the spear a lot and figure out which, where's like the wind blowing, which technology is going to be relevant next year. And we kind of want to get ahead of it. And Kotlin definitely felt like that kind of technology. 
Well, thanks for the vote of confidence. And it's actually great that there are, you know, companies that do this, right? I mean, and I always put the comparison of when you when you look at the, the JavaScript ecosystem, where it feels completely, at least to me, I don't know if you have the same experience, but it feels completely different in that there, they really don't care if something is even released or, you know, early alpha or whatever. People just use whatever there is right whereas i, I mean <laughs> <what>? <laughs> people in hell like glasses of water dude <laughs> i'm not going to make any comments about javascript yeah no I, I've, I've i've decided to pick on haskell from now on although i love haskell perfect so no yeah. okay no but anyway so that yeah that's cool so 2017 you start to port this over uh, what was the backlash? I mean, did you did you get any kind of backlash from the community or your current users or yo? Why are you going to abandon Java and just move over to Kotlin? Uh, I think with OKIO we didn't get like I think we did it relatively quietly. We also really really hedged. So um, we announced OKIO two, which was Kotlin, but we, um, we made pretty strong promises to retain. Um, to keep maintaining OKIO one, and uh, we've pretty much kept up with that. So, um, one thing that's really important for us in this process was we made the two uh, we made the Kotlin implementation binary compatible with OKIO one. So, if you build against OKIO one, you can run against OKIO two, and um, that flexibility takes a ton of the risk out of this. If you're, you know, uh, if if you're using this library, and uh, you're not super gung ho on Kotlin, there was nothing that was actually forcing you to have the Kotlin dependency. And at, like at this time, OKIO two existed, which is built on Kotlin, but none of our other libraries like Retrofit and OKHP, none of those needed, um, none of those needed Kotlin, and none of those depended on OKIO two. They would just work with it. Um, so. There may have been backlash if our users would have known where we were going, but um, at the time it just seemed like more of an experiment. Yeah, and and also we decided to keep source compat with Java. So basically, if if you were using OKIO one from Java, and you just upgrade to two, then just basic, literally nothing changes. So the code is not break, broken. The the binary is not broken, and uh, that was kind of one of the promises. Um, yeah, we we definitely consider the thing that you would have to package Kotlin standard lib with it, but we also we did a few experiments to just see what the actual effect of it is. And um, because it, it can be shrinked pretty pretty well. And we were using just a subset of functionality. So we would just be adding like a couple kilobytes to to like if say you're using it in the Android app, you would just pay a couple kilobytes uh, for that standard lib in a shrinked format. Yeah, we literally just use uh Check not now or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, maybe just just like a couple types, I guess. Yeah. The um, the backlog that the backlash that you're looking for, uh, it did come, but it came a year later in 2019 when we did the same thing to OKGTP, and uh, the the backlash here primarily came from people in the Java server community who'd been looking for uh, you know, a good HTTP client to replace Apache HTTP. And uh, we had this one project, uh, Test Containers, and they like 
finished their migration to OKTTP and they were like so happy to have shed a dependency on Netty and all of Netty's transitive dependencies. <laughs> Netty's like a fantastic library, yeah. but it has lots of transitive dependencies. And so like the day after they finished their migration from Netty to OKTTP, because OKTTP has few dependencies, we like announced that we're going to add Kotlin as a dependency. And that guy was like, he was not particularly, <laughs> he was not fussed. <laughs> Uh, when we announced that. And um, I think that it's our job to demonstrate that uh, his fears are unfounded. But I think that one of the things that like really hurts Kotlin here is JVM developers just feel like they've been burned by Groovy and they feel like they've been burned by Scala. And um, it's really easy to pattern match and see Kotlin as just another um, JVM language du jour that is going to be exciting for five years and then industry will lose interest and uh it will like cease to be supported yeah do you have um, any so, ideas on how we can fix that because i'm all out like i think that i think that like steady forward progress is the only way you can gain people's trust so like um, move slow and don't break things i mean the like colin has been fantastic at um making the migration story um safe uh, I've got I've got one exception for this, which is a handful of people are currently getting burned in our team when they uh, get binary compatibility issues with default parameters. Um, but that's a uh, that's like a design issue. And at JVM, um, there's 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 a few places in Kotlin where you can have things that are source compatible but not binary compatible, and that that is super annoying. Uh, but the language itself has just been fantastic for. Uh, getting incrementally better and taking the right risks in terms of like what features the language adds. So um, I think that like the only thing that will allow us to earn the trust of like the test containers maintainer and a bunch of other people is uh, effectively just to to not break things in the way that the other JVM languages may have. Yeah, it's funny because I mean I've, I've worked a little bit with the test container stuff and and with the guy and he seemed. Pleasant enough, and, and I mean, he's I awesome. He's pleasant. It's just, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, you can understand him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We 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 uh, we we did like we we didn't ever really advertise OKHP as a library with zero dependencies, but it was a library with zero dependencies, or I guess it depended on OKIO. Um, but uh, adding a dependency on the standard lib of a different language uh, that you know, basically has caused J Java JVM net developers nightmares for years. So, um, you know, like the last thing you want to do is be working on your JVM project and realize that you have to get SBT working so you can fix a bug in some library you're using. Yeah, which is very common, for example, again, in the JavaScript world, right? With yeah. all the different build systems and stuff. So, but it, it's interesting because like, is okay HTTP? I mean, now I guess it is, but Initially, was it really well adopted outside of the Android world? Um, I, th I think that uh, I think it's like been slowly gaining credibility. Um, there's a few things that it does that um, make it really useful if you're if you're doing like JVM development. Um, it has a really solid implementation of HTTP two, um, and uh, it's small and fast and it's really it's really useful for things like um like libraries that need to do their own http so uh test containers is one example um 
You might have heard of Selenium. Uh, it's another example of a, a library that uses OKHP internally. And uh, these things basically always start out using the built-in URL connection and running into its uh, horrible uh, APIs and limitations. And then when you get there, you say, okay, well, what are the other options? And there's not a ton. There's uh, Apache. There's an HP client in um, Jetty that's a bit awkward to use. There's Netty, which is a bit huge. There's the new HTTP client in Java 9 that's, um, uh, I, I don't love it. <laughs> and there's OK HTTP. So. so you know that there's a lot of people that, um, or let me rephrase, there are a lot of people, OK, there's, a, there's millions of people that are still using Java, which is absolutely fine and fantastic. Uh, and mm -hmm. then there's a group of people that are actively trying very hard to kind of uh, dismiss Kotlin uh, for, for various reasons. Uh, and one of the topics that always pops up is the performance aspects of things. And seeing that, you know, two of these libraries, I mean, OKIO, you, you talk about it being low level and then OKHTTP, which obviously people want to be performant. Was there any kind of... Uh, again, not backlash, but concern around performance that you folks had yourselves with this? So one thing that's one thing that's really excellent here is is that the um, the performance uh, risks, there's nothing inherent in Kotlin that changes its performance characteristics. like there's a there's a massive difference between going from, say, uh, a native language like C, to a managed language like Java. And if you do a port from a C program to a Java program, um, the types of performance characteristics that you'll see are, that are different are just like, you know, uh, very difficult to anticipate. Whereas the migration of uh, OKO to Kotlin or OKHP to Kotlin, um, we can basically go uh, anytime, anytime that anything that's potentially uh, performance regression, you can just say, you know, convert this to bytecode and then decompile it and go side by side and say, is there anything in the, uh, is there anything that the Kotlin bytecode is doing that the Java bytecode didn't have to do? And um, we, uh, we, we've seen, um, we saw basically three different uh, performance related bugs in two years. The first one was when we did the migration I used uh, equals equals in the Kotlin code when I had intended equals equals equals. And it was a tight enough loop inside of OKIO where using, where basically making a method call was more, uh, that uh, making a method call to do equality was uh, significantly slower than doing a reference equality check because this was just close enough in the inner loop. Um, we caught that in benchmarking and fixed it. So that was a uh, that was basically just like a transcription error on my part. Um, the uh, second one is in uh, Kotlin. The assert keyword works very differently than the assert keyword in Java. In Kotlin, assert always evaluates the argument and then it conditionally uh, throws. Whereas in Java, it conditionally evaluates the argument or uh, it conditionally evaluates you know what you're asserting upon and uh, that caused us uh, performance regression. Uh, and that was something that our users reported to us. We didn't see it. Um, and then the last one is uh, the compiler performance. 
And the compiler performance is something where um, if you build, you know, giant applications that are not well modularized, the Kotlin compiler is currently doesn't keep up with the JVM compiler for producing the same amount of bytecode. Uh, but that's something that's being fixed. And also with these libraries, whether or not they take, you know, two seconds to compile or eight seconds to compile is almost irrelevant if um, if we're always always doing incremental compiles. And also if you're pulling this thing as a, in as a jar file from Maven Central, uh, how long it took to compile is pretty much irrelevant to you. Yeah, I guess like this basically like a general source of those possible issues is that Kotlin is if you take Java and the way it's compiled to bytecode, it's much closer to like the one-to-one comparison versus Kotlin, because Kotlin Kotlin's compiler does generate a lot of magic bytecode. I guess data class is probably the best example of it. You you just write one single line and you get like a a lot of bytecode generated. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really easy to just write code that uh, that is perfectly normal Kotlin code, but it's not necessarily the most optimal version of bytecode that you get under the hood. Um, I should mention that it's getting better in terms of linting and just like warnings in the IDE, and the compiler will warn you if something looks kind of off, but definitely, I guess, probably that's one of the things that may deter people. One one other thing I want to reference here is, is that one of the big ad- things we were I was drawn to when we migrated uh, OKIO to Kotlin was the opportunity where Kotlin would be faster than Java. And um, in particular, there's a couple of places in OKIO where we have really, really repetitive code where we're inside. Um, OKIO has this concept called a buffer, which is a uh, basically a linked list of arrays. And we want to... Um, scan a linked list of arrays and find something, you know, it might be the sixth array and we want to find the sixth array and then we want to find the offset into that array. And so we want to ultimately um, have a function that we can call that will return both an array and an, and an offset. And in OKIO, we're like really, really sensitive to even things like allocating objects, like OKIO basically never allocates at all. Um, and so in the JVM code, we have this like 20 line piece of code, or sorry, in the Java code, we have this 20 line um, uh, search function repeated six or seven times in the source code because repeating it allows us to avoid um, having a function that returns two things. Um, in Kotlin, we can use an inline function. And so uh, we are no longer torn between writing like really, really redundant, clumsy code. Uh, to avoid allocations, instead we can um, we can just use Kotlin language features uh, to avoid allocations, and so that's worked out really really well for us because now um, uh, basically Kotlin allows us to do certain design patterns that allow us to avoid allocations. Yeah, now, talking about a little bit of compiler speeds, it reminded me of native, um, which is you know still to be improved. Yeah. Although it has received good improvements in the latest version, uh, but wh- how is your uh, task of going completely multi-platform going, and your experience with the JS and the native side? I guess it's going. Um, it's going. Well, <laughs> that, that's a nicely <laughs> politically correct answer. It's going. Yeah, it's. Uh, so I guess going back to Wire, it's it's probably like the project that is the most active right now in terms of multi-platform. 
so what we've essentially been doing is the way wire is designed is it, it's like a set of libraries. So you go all the way from like parsing uh, proto files for protocol buffers. Then you have some, some kind of like in-memory schema that gets created. Then there's a set of generators and like Kotlin generator is something that generates Kotlin code. And this is the code that you can run, say, in your Android application. But there's also a runtime module that you have to package with the app, which just contains the like the supporting types for the generated code. And this module is specifically the what we wanted to make completely multi-platform so that whenever we generate Kotlin code, um, so worth mentioning that the Kotlin code we generate is completely platform agnostic. So it doesn't really have any references to like JDK types or uh, whatever. And basically this is the code that you can pack into JS and native and use the the specific like the version of the runtime that is specific to that platform, and you can execute the code. And lately, what j- just like before the holidays, I was playing with a demo that uh, just has an Android and iOS apps and like a small server component, and it shares one single module with generated code. So there's like a shared module where we generate code and and just uh, basically just compile it into a jar and all three platforms, the server, the iOS and the Android are using the same uh, jar with the generated code. And I was trying to do some networking from Android to server, from iOS to server and try to basically get uh, binary protocol buffers uh, payload from the server and deserialize it on both platforms. And this went quite well. Um, it's like the first test that we're doing in for, for that kind of functionality, but it was surprisingly easy to do. And I didn't really have any issues that were complete blockers. Um, I guess something for us to look into is just the API side of it. So for example, just interrupting from Swift on the iOS side and Kotlin. Um, some things are, it feels like they're missed on that Objective-C bridge. Uh, like sometimes you can just use the features that are present in both Kotlin and Swift, but are missing in Objective-C. And this makes it a little clumsy, but overall, yeah, I think I think there's definitely a lot of potential for us to start integrating it in um, our production apps and yeah, uh, yeah, pushing it forward. We also have um, we also have the the luxury of um, having already built uh, or have already worked with um, Alex Strong and Kevin Galgan um, who've been doing SQL Delight on iOS. Um, Kevin from Touch Lab has been basically our um, our Swift, uh, Swift Kotlin um, hero, and figuring out ways to make these two languages interact better. Um, and so we are, uh, we, we're basically following patterns from SQL Delight when we're trying to figure out how to make um, networking code work because we we already have a nice, um, we already we already have a nice like effectively working example of. Call it multi-platform and SQL Delight, but that is um, mobile mobile code talking to a database. And what we want to be able to do is have mobile code talking to the network, mobile code managing generated business models, and uh, so I, I think that a lot of it right now is mostly um, finding the right business problems to to solve with multi-platform. Yeah, and you said at Square that you know, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people know Square. 
for being an Android shop, right? I guess a lot of that also goes in line with many of the open source projects that you provide that, you know, one way or another are using or targeted for Android. But you, you said that you're using Kotlin for the server side as well, right? You're basically, Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. what, are you, what um, are you using on the server side there? What so, so probably the most interesting one, we have our own, um, we have our own uh, application server framework that's a little bit like Drop Wizard uh, and a little bit like Ktor called Misc. Um, at some point, we will. Um, it's it's open source right now, but it's at at some point we will like document it and make it uh, available for normal people to use. But so far, it's um, it's like open source, but only as a uh, forcing function, so that we can eventually like truly make it an open source community rather than just a code that lives in GitHub. Um, and Misc is aspiring to be a, a lot bigger and more ambitious uh, in terms of problems that it solves than something like uh, Ktor. So Misc will like integrate with your clustering thing like Zookeeper, and it'll integrate with Amazon um, uh, SQS, and it will integrate with Google Cloud stuff. And so it's um, it's basically like uh, high level. Um, a high-level application framework with a bunch of like opinionated dependencies. So it will integrate with your tracing library. It'll integrate with your. Um, uh, it'll integrate with all your observability tools, and so it's a it's a lot um, it's a lot more um, ambitious than something like Ktor, just in terms of the types of problems that it believes that it owns. But our aspiration is is that um, if I'm writing, you know, some some service to have our users, you know, define their cache tags. Um, ideally, I just write cache tag related, uh, you know, application logic, and I get persistence and observability and dependency injection and testing, and a bunch of those other sort of like cross cutting server features built into MISC. What um, is this spelled? So M-I-S-C? M-I-S-K. Oh, it M-I-S-K. is our microservice container and container is spelled with a K because it's implemented in Kotlin. So we should totally do a show on this at some point because this is very yeah, interesting I think for me. At, at some point, it's not uh, it's not ready yet. There's a bunch of like really weird and interesting decisions in it. Um, for example, we use Juice for our dependency injector. I know that uh, Kotlin folks love Dagger, but uh, Juice yeah. is very... Um, Juice is very dynamic, and we wanted to have that dynamic ability so that we could um, decide at runtime what modules to load. Right. Colin folks love coin. Yeah, right? I was going to say, like, uh, Dagger is more Android folks, right? Or or they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think Google is pushing for Dagger mostly. Yeah. But coin yeah. has been like a, like, can you, I, I guess, I don't know, that, that'd be an interesting experiment just because coin is for Android. Yeah. In, initially, what if we used it in, on server? Yeah. Um, the uh, I, I think that like using Juice is exactly the right trade-off for server. Um, just in that uh, we like read a configuration file, and that potentially tells us what bindings to to install. And then um, Juice is also super eager at validating things. So um, I want to be able to make like a change to some common library and see that like 11 downstream projects break because now they have additional configuration they need. Uh, they need, um, And I don't have to wait till production to find out when that happens. 
So is MISC a little bit kind of on even more than what, because some of the things that you mentioned sound a little bit familiar to like Spring Boot, right? Where exactly, exactly, some yeah. plugin and I, I get integration. Is it trying to be in that space? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but it's also because um, I'm looking at the website, it says also new micro front ends, TypeScript and React web framework from Cache. So you, you're doing the front end stuff as well. Yeah, so um, MISC has a uh, one of the, one of the things I think is really important if you're building a um, a server framework is that um, your servers want to have uh, they want to have UIs for uh, basically monitoring and operations, and so MISC has the ability to it has a um, dashboard feature where you can um, plug in like a uh, if if you want to like go into your server and see you know um, what what's the state of my various queues, uh, one of the things that you can do is um, our dashboard has the ability to say show me all of the actions that um, my server has. You know, like in uh, K2R, you can bind an action to a to a path. Misc, you can do the same thing, but it will also let you invoke those actions um, if you have sufficient credentials. So if you're you know managing a server and you want to say like um, what happens if I call this endpoint? You can actually do that by pushing a button in our admin dashboard, and it's extensible, so you can build your own admin dashboard uh, panels using um, uh, using web stuff. That sounds really cool. We should definitely do a, ser- uh, ep- a series, no, an episode on yeah. that. Cool. Yeah. So uh, we're running out of time. I want to wrap up a little bit and uh, tell me what do you regret anything in in the context of what you've done with Kotlin and the libraries? Uh, no, I think not at all. Uh, it's been it, it's been great experience. Just so I I really like writing Kotlin code. So like you know, as a library developer, you don't want library users to pay for like your desire to use whatever technology. So it's kind of like a accountability of library development. I feel like it's probably a lot different from like app development. So you want to pick something that is pleasant to work with, but also doesn't carry any any costs for the users. And I think Kotlin is just a perfect combination because we we really, not not only did we not lose anything in the process, we also enhanced the APIs, we enhanced the, just the way that library can be used, but we also switched to something that we like working with and that makes us more productive. So I guess it's just so far, um, it's been just wins. Um, for sure, like sometimes it's been bumpy, but yeah. you kind of expect it with any new technology. But generally, like I'm personally very satisfied with the results of that work. I'm um, I've I've got one thing that's like I don't know if it's a regret, but it's a it's a timing thing. Um, we we got really really excited about um. Kotlin multi-platform and running Kotlin apps on iOS uh, pretty much a year ago, and I think that um, I think that that technology uh, wasn't wasn't really like it was a it was a technical demo at that phase, and I think that it's become more mature now. But I still think that there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot of investment that still is is due to make. De- uh, developing um, Kotlin on iOS specifically, I think like Kotlin native is a really sound and, and sane strategy. 
but Kotlin for iOS development is still something that um, needs a lot of work. We're really, really thankful to uh, Touch Lab and uh, Kevin Galligan for working with us to improve that story. But it's just a much bigger problem than we had anticipated. Um, and in particular, it's the way that uh, although Kotlin and Swift are very, very similar languages in terms of how they feel, um, using Kotlin from Swift is, uh, is not very comfortable, especially because of the uh, Objective-C bridge. So um, I don't think that's something that I regret, but it's something that I'm like very, um, I'm very eager for like more investment to happen there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we are in that direction. Yeah. Um, and, and then like the, the part that's really exciting, like where we get ambitious is uh, once that stuff works or if and when that stuff works, um, it's just like really compelling to be able to write um, the full, uh, the full sort of like, uh, JetBrains multi-platform, um, ideal of, uh, you write your, you write your entire mobile application in Kotlin, um, or you write everything but the pixels in Kotlin. And, um, uh, that's really exciting. I, th I think that, um, I think that like for brand new applications, I think it's relatively possible. I think for, uh, existing applications like ours, Finding the right seams to introduce Kotlin multi-platform is, uh, um, is I guess that's the hard part. So, yeah, there's also the challenge of I mean, fixing all of the technical aspects and um, hurdles that you know we have right now. There's also the aspect that I think was raised at the closing panel uh, in terms of how do you convince you know Swift developers to work with Kotlin. Just the same way, in in a similar way, I guess, of of JavaScript developers, right? And, exactly. And I, you know, that 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 is a that is a that is another problem, right? I mean, that's that's the thing that we've got to figure out how to yeah. how to address. And I think it's I think it's just you have to you have to treat it like they're, you're giving them superpowers, and uh, and you're not um, shrinking their scope because I think that um, we're pretty tribal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, hey, but it's interesting, right? It's cool. It's yeah. a good challenge. Yeah. yeah. Makes make, yeah, makes our sure. life good. Makes our life interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks guys for coming on the show. Uh and uh we'll definitely have you back at some point to talk about MISC because that sounds really cool as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Hadi. Um, it was a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.